Well, it's been well over a month since the military junta staged a coup and took control in Myanmar. The protests have been largely peaceful. However, the the military has now since turned to violent crackdowns that have been described by foreign media outlets as a, quote, nationwide killing spree. As the crackdowns and arrests are becoming more frequent and violent, many are fearful that their lives are at risk in Myanmar. Experts have expressed concerns for the future of democracy in that nation. So to get a more comprehensive overview of what Myanmar has been going through uh, since independence from British colonial rule uh, back in 1948. We're very pleased to be joined by the Professor of Education and South Asian Studies at the University College of London Institute of Education, Professor Marie Lal on the line. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having me. Professor, thank you so much for joining us. Many of us who have followed the history, even from an outsider perspective, we understand this isn't the first time that the Myanmar military has uh, taken over the country. They did transfer leadership uh, to civilian rule in 2011. A lot of people hoped that this was the turning point and that uh, Myanmar would be uh, long-term a democratic nation. But as we know, um, recently they have taken over again. Uh, Just maybe... Very briefly, for our listeners' benefit here in Korea, could you just give us a brief overview of uh, what Myanmar has been going through over the decades uh, and this kind of long-term sort of grip on power that the the military seems to have wielded on the country? Certainly, but before I do that, I just want to say that actually democracy was never on offer, and I'll explain why and what I'm about okay. to say. Uh, if I take it back to 1948, which is just at the time of independence, um, the country was divided, so the listeners should understand that uh, Myanmar is made up of about 60-65% of an ethnic group, a uh, majority ethnic group called the Bama, and the rest are different ethnic minorities. And during the Second World War, the Bama had fought on the side of the Japanese, and many of the ethnic minorities had fought on the side of the British. So at the time of independence, the country was very divided, and the Tatmadaw, which is the Myanmar army, the Myanmar military, um, came in as uh, the defender of national unity. And this is the way they present themselves. They say they're the only ones who can keep the country together. Um, and this is why we had the coup in 1962, because there was so much unrest um, across all the various ethnic states on the border, on the Chinese border and the Thai border, um, that the Myanmar army was saying, we are the only ones who are going to be able to rule this country and keep everyone um, together. And so from 62 to 1988, you have the Burmese way to socialism. The country is entirely cut off from the rest of the world, um, including Asia. It is very, very isolationist, and it becomes poorer and poorer. And in 1988, most people will remember that there was the 4-8 revolution, 8888, uh, on the 8th of August. And this uprising is probably the closest we've had to what we have today. Um, It's quite different in that it starts as an uprising um, because of economic conditions. People are impoverished, they can't put food on the table, um, and they need a change of system. And this uprising causes several thousand deaths. There is actually not an exact number. People say anything between three and 5,000 young people, mainly students, got killed. But it was similar to today in that it was a nationwide uprising, and it was very widespread. Young people, but also people from other walks of life Mm. um, who rose up against what was the military dictatorship. And uh, this was the end of the Burmese way to socialism, but not the end of the military dictatorship. So 
Um, the military that came in and took over after uh, General Nguyen was set aside promised elections, which were held in 1990, and the results were not recognized. And so then we have another 20-year standoff between 1990 and 2010 between the, what was known in those days as the junta uh, and um, the NLD. Uh, Aung San Suu Kyi spent most of that time under house arrest. And in that period, after 2003, we have what was called the roadmap to quote-unquote democracy. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't about democracy. It was about creating a constitution, which was put together in 2008 after a long period of constant consultation across the country, which wasn't really participatory. But it was about putting the military at the heart of the new system. So the military is not offering democracy. It's offering what I call a participatory system. So it's civilian on the one side, but the military retains 25% of the seats in all parliaments. That means all states, regions, lower house, upper house, and key uh, control of three key ministries, which includes the ministry, the home affairs ministry, and the border affairs ministry. So it's, you have to understand it's like a division of labor. The civilian government... Um, deals with education and health and agriculture and all of this kind of stuff and trade and, and so on. And the military stays in control of the police, of what happens at the borders, the fights against the ethnic armed groups. And so they, and they retain control over any changes of the constitution because you need over 75% of the parliament to change the constitution and the military holds 25% of the seats. So you can do the maths. Well, we, we certainly so that thank sort you. Of makes sense. Yeah, no, no, we, we definitely thank you for uh, giving us that concise history, and I think we understand the situation better. So bottom line then, uh, Professor, what is the end game for the military? They're promising um, elections uh, within a year's time. I don't think a lot of people believe that. Is it really to institute, as you say, not offering democracy per se, but a participatory government? Are they trying to just buy some time until they put in a civilian government that is more to their liking long term? What, what do you think their strategy is? I think in part, this is, uh, if you look at what they originally put in that constitution, is they expected to be able to hold part of that government. So they did expect the NLD to win a large amount of seats, but not as many as they did. And so the, the electoral system is a first-past-the-post system, which means that any party that has broad support will actually gain more seats than its percentage. So I I, I heard today that there was a first meeting with the Union Election Commission, the new election, Union Election Commission, which has been put in by the military, uh, asking for a change to proportional representation. With proportional representation, the USDP, which is um, a, a party linked to the military, um, could win a, percent, a higher percentage of seats. Hmm. And that's basically what they want. That's one thing they want to do. The second thing they want to do is they want to break the NLD. So with the NLD, then, uh, we know that uh, there have been now cases, a, a, a close aide to Aung San Suu Kyi uh, died in custody. Many believe this was a result of torture. You say that the military ultimately would like to do away with the NLD. What do you think will be the fate, then, of Aung San Suu Kyi, who has spent really um, most of these past few decades under house arrest, is under house arrest again, and uh, many people wondering uh, if there can be another sort of uh, redemption arc uh, for her and, and the NLD. Under the current administration, I cannot see that they're going to let Aung San Suu Kyi out or go in any form. Um, 
And without Aung San Suu Kyi, the NLD will be greatly weakened. Um, it's going to be extremely difficult, even if a, an election is called for them to stand. They might even decide to boycott. They might not even be, there might not even be an NLD party in a year or 18 months' time by the time we have these elections. Um, the uh, Aung San Suu Kyi is uh, accused of, of several different crimes, including um, a whole story about uh, having unregistered walkie-talkies, right. having met during a campaign, but also now, more importantly, financial fraud. And these are sentences which could be quite long. Um, and th- this, particular, this particular part of the Tatmadaw really dislikes Aung San Suu Kyi. Um, Min Aung Lang has had a very bad relationship with her. When she was state councillor and he's the chief of staff of the military, I understand they haven't spoken for the last, at least the last year. Mm. When Aung San Suu Kyi won the elections, and the NLD won the elections in 2015, she went to uh, Senior General Shui, who was the original military dictator, to get his quote-unquote blessing, the acceptance that this was going to go, they were going to have to work together, the Tatmadaw and the civilian government, under that 2008 constitution to make it work. And um, that blessing was sort of extended and given, and she was able to run the civilian government for five years. Fast forward to 2020, she wins with an even larger majority, but disregards any of the issues that the military is bringing to her. And I think where the origins of this coup largely lie in the fact that um, she disregarded, the military felt disregarded and disrespected. And in Myanmar, this is just not, this is something you just can't do because they are such a stalwart central part of politics. And um, someone got very angry, clearly, and um, this is why we now yeah. have uh, this particular system uh, where we had the coup and obviously now military rule and the protests. Well, final question then. For our part on our program, we've tried to connect with activists based in Myanmar. Uh, they have told us that they just simply can't connect, that the phone line is disrupted between Myanmar and Korea. I imagine that's the case for a lot of people, but um, you do want to see what's going on in the region. There's been widespread international condemnation, including uh, from the United Nations Security Council, including from countries like the United States and even uh, Korea and the UK. What do you think the international community can do and what do you think is ultimately going to happen? So first of all, with regard to the young activists, I mean, it's actually very dangerous for them to connect with you. I mean, it is, I, yeah. I can speak to people through over WhatsApp and over, over Telegram, and it is possible to connect with people, but it is very dangerous for right. them to speak to a news outlet. Um, the most important thing to understand with a news outlet is that the military wants to control the media message. And so when you feel speaking to people like that, they are then in danger. Uh, with regard to the international community, um, the young people on the streets have been calling for R2P, right, to protect the unfortunate side of this is that uh, the R2P uh, system is misunderstood. It has to go through the United Nations Security Council. It is, in the first instance, support to a country uh, to not commit um, any crimes against humanity. Uh, and the international intervention is something which comes right at the end. And this is just not something which is going to happen. The only thing that any, that any of the international community is offering is sanctions. And sanctions, as we have seen, will actually do absolutely nothing to change the minds of the top military brass and will certainly hurt the ordinary people on the ground. So it's um, uh, the only way out of this is going to have to be some kind of negotiations. I'm not sure how that's going to happen because at this particular point in time, Hmm. the government is not willing to talk. 
and the young various groups, because there are four or five different groups who are protesting, so it's not unitary and there's not a unitary kind of leadership. There is actually not a leadership one can point to that could put down. If you go back to 2015, there were student protests, much smaller scale, none of that brutality. Mm. The police did beat people up, but nothing of that. But there was a negotiation between the then Tinsane government and the student leadership. They sat down and they talked about the new education law, and there was um, a sort of resolution. of But in this particular case, we don't have this. So it could be a protracted long-term conflict. um, But the only way where this country is going to be able to to see the dust settle is if people come to a negotiation table. Professor, thank you very much for this uh, comprehensive overview of what's going on, and uh, we definitely appreciate your time on all of this. I hope to talk to you again soon. Thank you.